Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction, and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Hello and welcome to Clash of the Titles, the podcast that pits two movies with something in common in a fight to the death to see which one comes out victorious. This week, in the red corner, we're on a boys' trip to the wet and windy Lake District to enjoy some wine, upset the locals and avoid burglary in Bruce Robinson's 1987 cult classic with Nail and I. While in the blue corner, we're on a boys' trip to sunny California to enjoy some more wine, upset more locals, and see if our book gets published in Alexander Payne's 2004 Oscar winner, Sideways. To a delightful weekend in the country. You are cordially invited to spend a carefree weekend in the English countryside. Bask in the warm sunshine. We've gone on holiday by mistake. Enjoy the rustic pleasure of country living. It'll be so cold in here. Like Greenland in here. Wants to get down there and have sex with those cows. With Mill and I, a trip worth taking. Absolute twaddle. Let me show you how this is done. Hold the glass up and examine the wine against the light. You're looking for color and clarity. Now, stick your nose in it. There's some strawberry. Oh, there's just a flutter of like a like a nutty Edom cheese. When do we drink it now? Mmm. Are you chewing gum? No. It's a lads on the lash face off in today's fight to the death, so let battle commence. It's Clash of the Titles. Release the Kraken! Hello, Clash Butters! Get in the back of the van! <laughs> I'm Alex Zane. I'm Vicky Robinson. I'm Chris Tilly. Yay! Hey! Hooray, what a start. Oh, off we go then. My choices this week. <laughs> did you just did you just call him Booze Robinson rather than Bruce Robinson? That's what it sounded like. Uh, well, if, Fair enough. If that works, that works. It does then, work. Yes, I did. <laughs> On many levels. Then I absolutely did do that because I'm that good and I know how much you love a pun. So, with <laughs> Nell and I versus Sideways, why... Because they belong together. They are the perfect pairing. 
I love both these films, even if I do say so myself. They are the perfect pairing. We've never had one before. This is a first. They okay. were the perfect pairing until I was watching Sideways and thought, oh man, this is the one that goes with Swingers. This scene is in Swingers. I finally get to do Swingers. Yeah, it's too late. Uh, it's too late. We're on the conveyor belt now. Mm-hmm. Um, and look, while some naysayers uh, last week may have argued that the pairing of The Truman Show with Free Guy was walking the park for The Truman Show, I say to you this week, dear Clash Potters, We've got a fight on our hands. Oh, yes. Mm. V thinks so. Yeah. V very much thinks I'm so. I'm one third of the show, so, mm. and Alex thinks so, so that's most of us. Yep. So the, the statement stands. <laughs> <laughs> that is a we fact. We have four. But you were talking about the listeners. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Okay. I was. I was. I think, I think this is a good fight. I think, I think I agree. everyone agrees. No, I agree. Two, two quality films. Two very, very, very good films. Just as a sidebar, uh, we recorded a week in advance and it is currently the hottest day in UK history <laughs> in a studio that, I don't know, how, how should we describe it, is famously hot on a normal day. <laughs> in, in the dead of winter. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, I read a clickbaity headline on my way here. Uh, the UK is apparently hotter than 98.8% of the rest of the world today. Wow. Yeah, only California, the Sahara Desert, France, Belgium, the Middle East and Western China are hotter than this studio. It's like Belgium right now. It makes no sense. <laughs> oh, you want to be in Ghent, don't you? I do want to be. I always want to be in Ghent. Standard. Lo- loves Ghent. I do. We still haven't been. You love the chips, don't you? I love the chips. I love the beer. I love mm. the people. I love the architecture. I like the art. I like the campsites. I like all of it. Mm. So uh, this is Clash Board, sponsored by the Ghent <laughs> Tourist Board. We should go. We should go. Uh, so even more historic than the hottest day in the UK, uh, this fact is even more historic. Uh, I am, for the first time in the history of the show, <laughs> are wearing shorts. History of ever. I don't think I've ever seen you in shorts. And if you want to see footage of this, I have filmed something. It will be going on the Twitter. <laughs> and the Instagram, at Clash Board. Yep, I believe that's a good idea. Uh, no, the big question, though, is who's wearing underwear? <laughs> Um, hey, listeners, welcome to Clash Pod After Late Dark. <laughs> uh, I'm not. I've changed my shirt, but I'm not, I am wearing underwear. You, you know are. What? You've got pants on. Yeah, I have. Right, yeah. Okay. You've got pants on? I have got pants on, and I'll tell you something that's going to shut you right up. I've got extra thick pants on to soak up the sweat. Jesus so Christ. <laughs> right. <laughs> Alex, you have Whoa. opened up a can of literal worms. Just, whoa. Hey. Because otherwise, when I stand up, there's going to be... Right, my friend... I won't say his name, actually. My friend, he a famous story that stays with me always. He mm. went to the London 2012 Olympics and he was wearing light coloured a light coloured short, mm. and he went to see the swimming and it was hot as you like. Yep. And then when he stood up, he realised that it looked like he had wet himself because of the sweat had pooled on this chair, and so he had to wait till everyone had left before he could leave. I don't want that to happen today. I've taken measures. Okay, um, I can beat that. I once bought some uh, sort of very, very pale pink swimming trunks and the netting inside. They were a bit small and the netting was too tight. (laughs) You know the netting that they have in swimming trunks? I know the netting because I cut it out for my children. Okay, were they pale pink shorts? Because this might have happened to them. (laughs) Well, I've got your dirty knickers. I cut the netting out and then I went in the pool in Malta, this was, and then the the shorts got wet and I stepped out of the pool and I walked around the sunbed area towards the bar and then I looked down realised without the netting you could see everything <laughs> what peeping out or just like it was, oh I see it, they'd I see, become yeah. translucent yeah like a silhouette mm-hmm. yeah not even oh. a silhouette no translucent wow yeah, but why are you wearing them today <laughs> <laughs> oh my god that's uh, horrendous to complete the holy trinity I am not wearing underwear <laughs> Uh, uh, oh, is that, I, is that why you said this? Well, yeah. I just thought if Always. I'm wearing shorts, I'm not wearing underwear. I don't need to. I feel very ventilated. Can I check? 
If you really <laughs> want, just have a little look up there. <laughs> oh, no. <Hello. laughs> Mouse is peeking out the house. <laughs> Put the boys back in the barracks. <laughs> right then. So, the clue I gave on last week's show was brilliant. It was. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, can I just say, uh, Vicky, we got a tweet saying your clue that I... Me and Alex both mocked last week. Yep. Um, someone tweeted us to say it was a good clue because they got half the films. So, Oh, that's really lovely. Of, Thank you, that person. It was one of the Garys. Lovely. Looking out for you, the listeners defending your honour. As they should. <laughs> one of the 326 Garys uh, that listen to the show. Right, the Chris clue. The Chris clue. The clue Chris followed up with on Twitter was... Lads on the Lash. Lads on the Lash. Very funny video. You weren't allowed to come, Victoria, because you weren't allowed. I filmed it, but yeah. fine. Yeah, and I did a follow-up on Twitter saying that it was just a joke. Vicky's always welcome at the pub. You sound so nervous. People know that I'm allowed to go to the pub, don't they? Well, it depends. There were some. He was after his, he's like, you can be in the next one. I was like, I don't care. <laughs> uh, so the guesses were slumped, passed out on our Twitter at ClashPod. We're also on Instagram at ClashPod. Congrats to Anthony M. Rose, Ian Robson, and Gemma Page, who all got it right. But our winner this week with the first correct guess is longtime listener and Arsenal fan. Frank B. Congratulations, Frank. Your prize this week is a doll that shits itself. Enjoy. <laughs> Connection section. Wine. <laughs> Someone was going to say it. Un- unlikely friendships. Mm. Uh, drinking and driving. Yeah, God. Uh, ringing your agent. Yes. Horrible phone calls with your agent. Yeah. Um, having to leave places after demanding wine. Mm. Uh, the tourist <laughs> trap vineyard and yeah. the cake shop. And along the same lines, uh, filling your wine glass behind the back of your host. Yes, very good. When the back is turned, pouring more wine from oh the God, bottle. Is that not allowed? <laughs> <laughs> so you're not allowed to come to the pub. I didn't know that at all. I thought, <laughs> I thought help yourself was... was being useful. Well, that scene is based in reality in Withnell because uh, the real life Withnell, when Bruce Robinson took him to meet his parents, whenever yeah. the parents were out of the room, he would be filling everything I feel up. Like he's being really, yeah, go for it. Not a problem. Save your legs, mum. Sit down. He's got this. That's how an old friend of mine lost a job with the Chuckle Brothers. By drinking all their booze. She lived with one of the Chuckle Brothers and drank all their booze. Jesus. Yeah, she was a living nanny. and Mary or Paul? Paul. Paul? Mm. She drank all Paul's booze. Yeah, yeah. While she was yeah. looking after the kids, though. Yeah. Uh, she... <laughs> oh, no, she might have been looking after the house at this point. I think she probably was. Yes. When, yes. when she was drinking it, was she like, to me, to <laughs> me, to <laughs> me. <laughs> See what he's done there. <laughs> yeah, it's hilarious. Because um, <laughs> that was a catchphrase. <laughs> right. Yeah. Two blokes in a field. Quite melancholy scenes of men in a field just yeah. walking. A best um, friend who constantly ditches you. Running at something, shouting. A bull, a randy bull, mm. and other men in a golf cart. Yeah. Okay. That's good. That's good. That one. I was quite pleased with that. Respecting the intricate process of creating an intoxicating substance, obviously the winemaking process in uh, Sideways, Mm. and Mm. Danny creating the Camberwell carrot (laughs) in With Nail. If you're ever running at stuff, (laughs) that. No, fair enough. Uh, a larger one. They're both about writers, even yeah. though we don't really realise that in Withnail mm. and I. Writers yeah. on the piss and, and actors on the piss. Yeah. Uh, waiting to see if you've got a gig. Ties into the agent thing. Both of them are waiting to see. One's waiting to see if they've got a part. The other's waiting to see if their book is going to be published. Running away from a sexual encounter. Yes. Yes. Mm. And let's, let's call it a day. I think that's <laughs> yeah. good enough. Yeah. It's too hot. I mean, we've proved that they go together. That's, yes, we have. We've definitely really, proved that. All that section is, is us going, these films do work <laughs> yeah. together. We're, we're right. Sure. <laughs> we, we know what we're fucking talking about. 
So on Thursday, Vicky is drinking in wine country, which means today Chris is a trained actor reduced to the status of a bum. Chris takes <laughs> on the journey. With Nell and I is a film about the glory days, the time before you had responsibility, when you could do whatever, whenever, wherever, with whoever. That hedonistic period that Alex and I have mercifully grown out of, but Vicky is still sadly sucking. <laughs> sadly. <laughs> sort it out, Vicky. Yeah, seriously, though. <laughs> anyway, with Nell and I is about two blokes who get drunk in London, then get drunk in the countryside, then get back to London where one of them stops drinking. <laughs> Along the way, they become the personification of gay panic while at the same time being in love with each other, maybe, <laughs> and delivering the funniest dialogue in film history, probably. For your podcasting pleasure, this is with Nell and I. Oh. The first time you said with nail and I in that, you went with nail mm. and I. And I was hoping you were going to do that for the show. <laughs> no. I got obsessed with Dakota Fanning in the show The Alienist. Yeah. Every time she said a W, yeah. she went when, with, <laughs> Because without. it's olden times. I yeah, don't know if you exactly, know that. Right? <laughs> I can try. <laughs> I think that was just an accident. It was just the weirdest thing. Why? Yeah. Um, so, who bought brew, booze? I didn't, but only because, and this says a lot about me, the heat. And I thought it was a bad idea. But if it had been two degrees lower temp, I would have done. Alex, we agreed we'd all bring booze. Did you bring booze? I, do you know what? It would, I said it would have to be wine and it would have to be red wine. And there's no fucking no, way. Uh, there's no way I'm drinking red wine on a day like this. Did you bring booze? Yeah. Did when? you? <laughs> is it cold? Oh, this is exciting. The, t- oh <laughs> the tension. <laughs> it is... It is bottles of red, red wine. wine. Oh, <laughs> what did I say? Oh what did God. I just say? They've been in my bag for quite a long time. Oh, oh. it's fucking Merlot. <laughs> <laughs> I am leaving if anyone brings Merlot. Oh wow! Yeah, Thanks, I wanted Chris. to. I should have done it in the second episode because I bought Merlot, but it was. It was. Just... Are you worried about it getting even warmer? Oh well. So, uh, history with with nail and I, Vicky. I. It's a Mark Parsons video. Of course it is. Yeah, obviously he loved it, mm. um, but it was perfect. Like a perfect. We were the. I was the exact right age. I was living in exactly the right place. Uh, a squalid flat that you used to live in. Oh, the one in Manor Park. No, well, when I was between, when I was basically in your St. House, Donuts. Um, no one cares. No one cares. <laughs> <laughs> Pub conversation. Sorry, that flat. You remember that flat? Yeah, I don't that, know because she hasn't been. It's anymore. fine. Good. That dirty uh, flat. <laughs> um, and uh, we were smoking a lot of weed, and so it all just came together. And then very shortly after that, I started working for my. I started working for the agency for my old boss, and she used to represent Bruce Robinson, and she used to talk about his exploits. <gasps> and I think she represented him through this, but she had to get rid of him because for reasons that you will probably come on to. Hmm. Yeah, that's it. Um, have you met him? Did you ever meet him? No, I met him. Yeah. Hmm. How was that? It was all right. He was fine. I mean, he was quite dry actually. I thought he'd be a bit more. Rah! Yeah. But he was. Um, he was quite dry. It was for the Rum Diary. Oh yeah, of course. Hmm. Do you want to ask me? Well, it's an open question. Fine. <laughs> just, just jump in. Uh, sure, I will do. Uh, have, we done, have we done this show before? <laughs> <laughs> it's hot. It's fine. Good. Uh, I watched this uh, when I was probably about 10 years old or 11 years old. So I was really, really too young. And yeah. So obviously at that point, it was unlike anything I'd ever seen before. But this was a weird thing. So I, I knew I was watching something special but I couldn't quite get a handle on what I was watching. And the thing that I equated it closest to, because the one bit I remember is the start, the sort of first act, Danny and them in that flat. And the reason I remember that distinctly is because I was like, oh, it's like Bottom. Yeah, and I love yeah. Bottom. Yeah, it is. yeah, fair enough. <laughs> it's so much like Bottom. And so that's that was sort of my memory of it. And then 
over the years, I've sort of watched it sporadically and like a fine wine, it gets better and better with every single watch, this film. How true that is. Mm. Um, I, I do have issues with it, though. That is not a, that's not me saying this is perfection. I've got issues and I've always had issues and they'll come up. So I refused to watch this when I was younger. I did not like the look of it, didn't like the trailer, didn't like the poster. It just did not look like my thing. I didn't understand what it was. Um, and so I put it off and then it was just, you know, student years. It was just annoying people quoting it. Mm. That was the only time it would be in my life. And it was like, oh, I don't think I want to be part of this cult. And then so it wasn't until I think I did my postgrad in Nottingham, there was a there was a student screening of it. And I thought, well, now I should watch it. I've got to watch it at some point. I'm going to have some wine, have some beer and watch it with my mates. And I enjoyed it without loving it. And I think the issue was the same issue I had with Big Lebowski. The first time you watch a film, you're expecting a plot. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and when you're waiting for the plot to kick in and it doesn't, it can be a frustrating experience. Yeah. And so for me, like Big Lebowski, it was only on repeat viewings when you realise, oh, I'm not supposed to concentrate on anything. It's just taking the dialogue yeah. and the characters that I love it more and more each time. I interviewed Richard E. Grant a few years ago about Wawa, his, the film about his childhood, and we got on to Withnell. And I think that was at a time when he didn't really like talking about it. I think he'd had enough. So uh, thanks, Richard. Here's my DVD. Please sign it. <laughs> um, but yes, it's a film that's definitely grown in, in my um, affections. Mm-hmm. So uh, lots to get through behind the scenes. This is a hell of a story. Um, I'm using a book which I've used before on this podcast called Very Naughty Boys, mm-hmm. the story of handmade films by Robert Sellers. We, I talked about that book in Long Good Friday episode. Fantastic stories from behind the scenes of these movies and the Arrow Blu-rays packed with extras, including a bunch of Channel 4 documentaries from 1999 Mm. that made me feel very old and very nostalgic. I will talk about one of them in particular, which also made me feel sick. Um, First things first, it's absolutely remarkable that this film got made. Vicky, as someone who's, you know, worked as an agent, read a lot of scripts, like, this is a one in a million, isn't it? Yes, it is. Well, I mean... You've got to wonder. So, would you always talk? We talk about the vertical writing thing, and it's like what you've just said. So, you're spending time with people, and their dialogue is moving the plot rather than the plot moving along, and the dialogue kind of keeping up and servicing the plot and things like that. So, this is obviously like the you know the, a prime example, but it's a weird, grimy, quite cheap, dirty British film. There's no women in it, um, and it's looking back on an era, and it's not set in. So, when it was made in the eighties. It's, so you f- I feel really disjointed by it because I don't remember the 60s. And I don't really remember 1986 either. So you're sort of looking back. You've got that sort of double remove where you're looking back twice. Um, I don't, but then sideways, it is a good comparison because it's, it's not that different in terms of the vertical writing. Mm. And that was easy to get made. So I, I don't know. It's the exception that proves the rule kind so of thing, isn't it? What's the chronology, though? Because uh, he had just won an Oscar for Best Adapted Screenplay, hadn't mm. he, Bruce yeah. Robinson? So surely that must have played a part in him turning a novel into this script. Yes, I mean... But it's also George Harrison, because he just had so much money that if he liked it, it was away. Yeah. So George Harrison is not operating by the normal rules of the film industry. It's like, I simply must turn a profit in order to plough something. He right. can do a passion project whenever he wants. And he did. Yes. Uh, yes. George Harrison was the key. But So it, it's autobiographical. Uh, Bruce Robinson said this. all this stuff happened over about two or three years in his life. He condensed it to two or three weeks. Um, so back in 1969, there were 15 people living in his Camden flat. Um, he had a bed in the bathroom. He said the mattress was always soaked. Someone would have to sleep in there. He said it was seedy, um, dopey, gothic. Um, they would go to the Spread Eagle 
in Camden until 3am, then uh, go back to his house, drink wine, drink drugs, uh, drink drugs, take drugs, uh, wake up, start again, back at the Spread Eagle. That was their life. And he said it was this predicament of the thespian in crisis, that he would come home, he would cry, and then he suddenly realised this is quite funny. (laughs) (laughs) My despair is humorous here. Um, And so... And he said he could tune into these voices. They were all talking to him at once once he had this idea. So he started writing it in 1970. So the the story had 15 years to ferment. Um, Originally, it was a novel, as you say, Alex, which is why we hear what's in Marwood's head, a lot of it. But he went to the Lake District, is how it began, to write a script about pirates. (laughs) 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 And he got nowhere with this script about pirates with a mate, but he ended up writing this book about the insanity of him and his mate's lives. So, and he said that writing that novel in the Lake District was the only Joyce writing experience of his entire life. Right. <laughs> um, years later, he was living in LA. I guess this would be around the time of the Killing Fields. Yeah. And um, he wrote the screenplay in LA. He said that was one of the most miserable times of his life. He tried to give back the money um, that <laughs> he would been given by a funding firm uh, several times because he found it impossible. Um, but it might have been something to do with his writing process. So there was a documentary that's on that Blu-ray from Channel 4 from the uh, 1999 about him and writing. Have you seen this? Have you seen his writing process? He's very, I mean, he lets them really into his room. And it's, it, he says it's, I write with a head full of red. Um, and he calls it drink typing because he says he likes to exceed the speed limit. <laughs> and um, we watch him do it and it is mad. He is getting very drunk mm. and he is pacing around his room shouting the words at because Bruce Robinson was an actor so that's why there's not a single word that's different from the script that's in the film because he spent 15 years shouting these lines out (laughs) to himself but then he would get to a state towards the end of the night where he said he would his wife would find him typing with his nose because he couldn't stay up straight anymore this is how and this is how Bruce Robinson still writes I I had to check if he was still alive (laughs) because I because based on this from 1999 I was thinking this man cannot he actually looks pretty good yeah he does Um, but uh, he got the he got the script written he was struggling to sell it because in spite of the cachet of Killing Fields, no one wanted to make this deeply uncommercial story. He kind of knew that, though, didn't he? He said it's it's miserable, it's dark, it, uh, it doesn't play to the uh, structure of writing that we were talking about. It's vertical writing. And, um, and like, no one it certainly was never, ever going to find an audience in America, mm. which I think is what he was sort of, you know aware of when he was doing it. He received the note, as you say, uh, about women mm. in the film. And his argument was, we were skint, no women wanted to hang around with us. Yep. And therefore, <laughs> there's no women in this story. It's fine. Um, so Dennis O'Brien, whose shadow looms large over Handmaid, he was the other, the sort of silent partner who was in charge of the money at Handmaid. And every creative seemed to hate him in that book. Uh, we talked about him on Good Friday, but um, he did not want to make this film. But George Harrison read it on a plane and told Dennis at the other end, we are doing it. Job done. So a bit of casting. Starting off with Marwood, a.k.a. I. Um, Paul McGann's agent called him and asked him if he was interested in a film called Whistler and Me. (laughs) (laughs) They're fired. (laughs) Uh, They got the script to him. He said he was in hysterics on the tube reading it. um, And he got cast when he walked in the room because Bruce Robinson had seen him uh, previously perform, uh, liked him. And so then he had to audition with a bunch of with nails. Um, He said he didn't rate Richard E. Grant the first time Richard E. Grant came in, but Robinson liked him, asked him back. And, and McGann says when he returned, he was with Nell the second time. Yeah. Um, but they then sacked McGann yes. <laughs> once they cast Grant. Right. Um, so eventually, 
Stop calling it Whistler and me. <laughs> he said that he thinks when he was doing those auditions with the other Withnails that he was just trying too hard to be funny. And right. that's exactly what Robinson didn't want. So then he ironically had to come back and audition opposite Richard E. Grant. <laughs> <laughs> and um, he hired and fired Paul McGann. A bunch of times on this film, according to McGann, um, one of the times he said, because you're acting like Norman Wisdom. <laughs> right. Um, but Withnail, let's talk about Withnail. So Withnail is this real person, uh, Vivian uh, McCarroll. Mm. Uh, Vivian McCarroll, um, who uh, Ruth Robinson said was a jack of all trades and a master of none. He called. He told um, Richard E. Grant that he's a lying, cowardly, prancing, posing, utterly charming old darming. Mm. And they'd both gone to the Central School of Speech and Drama together. But he believed he was a better actor than everyone else. He believed he was a better writer than everyone else. But he couldn't act. He couldn't write. He just boozed and ranted. Um, but he immediately charmed the pants off you. The name comes from um, a bloke that Bruce Robinson knew when he was a little boy. Um, his, his dad knew him. He's a good bloke called Jonathan Withnail. And he one day saw Jonathan Withnail back his Aston Martin into uh, a police car coming out of a car park. <laughs> <laughs> um, Daniel Day-Lewis turned down the role. No. Yeah. Mm. Amazing. He turned it down to do The Unbearable Lightness of Being, a okay. film that no one really remembers. <laughs> um, he would have been good, no? Yeah, of course. Probably. Probably. I, I mean, it's imp- it's almost impossible to see anyone else but Richard E. Grant yeah. in this role. It's one of those roles. But yeah, I, I guess. Uh, someone else who was in the running was Kenneth Branagh. No. Uh, but Bruce Robinson told Paul McGann that he thought he looked too much like a partially cooked donut. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. Wow. Wow. Okay. Do you know how Nettie described Thomas Hayden Church? Uh, she said, I was like, I think Thomas Hayden Church is good looking. She was like, he looks like a cross between a donkey and a fish. <laughs> And once she'd said it, I couldn't unsee it. She said his mouth. He looks like Donkey from Shrek with fish eyes. But a good-looking donkey. Yeah, I mean, yeah, she did say. She said he's good-looking, but he looks like a donkey and a fish crossed. Who, who, who's hotter, Withnail or I? With Mickey. Uh, I wasn't asking you. I think it depends how old you are when you watch it. When okay. I was 19, Withnail, now I, obviously. Okay. Yeah, I, well, don't I don't know if it's obvious. I don't know if it's obvious. Yeah. Why? Because Withnail's dirty, like as if he needs a wash kind of thing. And then you get past that, don't you, where you think that's yeah. attractive. And Paul McGann, I think he's perfect. Like He looks like a little angel, doesn't he? Like mm. He looks so very innocent. And he looks so much like Bruce Robinson. Some of his friends are in these documentaries saying there's certain scenes where they think they feel like they're watching Bruce and not McGann. Yeah. Um, but it came down, Withnail came down to a toss up between uh, Richard E. Grant and Bill Nye. Oh, right. That see, makes perfect sense. Weirdly, I can see that more than Daniel Day-Lewis. Yeah. Uh, so Bill and I was really good friends with Bruce Robinson, but uh, they both enjoyed a drink at that period in their lives uh, quite heavily. And Bruce said to his casting director, Mary Selway, that there's only room for one drinker on this film. Mm-hmm. And so, and it's me. <laughs> <laughs> Rich, can you imagine that? Saying to, saying to Bill, going, do you, go, do you want to go to the pub tonight? And he's like, yeah. He's like, Fire. Yeah, yeah, you can't be in the movie then. <laughs> I was going to say there's only room for one drinker on this podcast, guys. And I'm the only one that's open my wine. I want to. I really want to. I'm just scared. That's all. That's fine. I'm saving it for sideways. Yeah, okay. Um, uh, there's a weird debate that goes on on this, this 1999 documentary where with um, Bruce Robinson saying Richard E. Grant was fat. Uh, During the filming of Withnail Before I. the filming and right, he had to okay. lose weight and, and Richard E. Grant denying it. <laughs> Richard, e. Grant, Richard Grant saying, I was never fat. I've no, never been fat. Never been fat. Uh, but he says, yeah, he told him to go away. He said, he said to him, I want Byron, not a fat bloke. 
Um, but they get quite brutal. Richard Grant says Bruce Robinson has the vanity of a bad actor and the arrogance of a great writer. <laughs> that refers to him. Um, and he said, I actually saw him act once, Bruce Robinson. I saw him in Adele H and thought he was a very handsome rock and roll looking bloke who was a crap actor. <laughs> Brilliant. Uh, but he famously got the role because he said the line fork it exactly how it sounded in Bruce Robinson's head. Wow. Job done. Uh, Richie Grant famously allergic to booze. Mm. Um, oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. Uh, he totaled his entire life apart from once, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He, he Well, he... He's either allergic to booze or if you, you know, you read his books, his dad was an alcoholic and this might be a story he tells to, to, to cover for the fact that he doesn't, doesn't want to go want anywhere to near booze. But yeah, yeah, yeah he, um, he, uh, he was made to get drunk by Bruce Robinson because he wanted him to have, do you know what the line is? A chemical memory. Oh. Uh, a bit pretentious. But um, uh, <laughs> McGann was there when it was during rehearsals. They did it. They gave him a bunch of booze and he, he, sort, he sort of pushed into it, but he did it. And McGann said... In the space of 20 minutes, you saw him go through every stage of being drunk. Oh, that's awful. <laughs> uh, you know, he got tipsy, he got, he got emotional, he started shouting, and, and, and all through it, McCann said Robinson screaming at him, remember this, remember this. <laughs> what a weird um, day at work, that is. <laughs> every Tuesday in the Don't pub Don't tell for George us. Harrison. Remember <laughs> this. Uh, so, Danny, as Alex mentioned, Danny the drug dealer, played oh. by uh, Ralph Brown. Um, I didn't know this. Uh, Ralph Brown was a regular in the first season of The Bill. Yeah, oh, okay. In the mid in the mid eighties, right. he said it was the only time he's been famous, and he was a bit uncomfortable with it. Um, he said reading this script was unlike anything he'd ever experienced. He said it wasn't like a normal script. It was like hearing the inside of a human being's head. Um, it said that Danny is is wrecked, purple haired, drug dealing, wide and a fool. So he dressed like he saw him at the time. He showed up to the audition barefoot with painted nails, <laughs> eyeshadow and a long wig. Brilliant. Uh, Robinson said it was quite frightening, but Mary Selway uh, said she couldn't stop laughing at his audition. <laughs> and um, It's incre- incredible. It's incredible. It's just, it's just, honestly, that's, as a kid, that was the thing that I remembered. Yeah, yeah me too. If I spike you, you'll know. <laughs> it's the little things. And to. I know it's not funny to quote it, but when he's like, uh, you're having a rush, it'll pass, and he just says, be seated. And that, rather <laughs> than sit down. And obviously, I know, Chris, that people quoting endlessly used to piss you off, but because mm. I watched it when I was 19, I st- you just can't stop. Like, we've gone on holiday by mistake. Yes. It's something that we still find 100%. very funny. And there are lines I do say. There's two yeah. lines I think I say, and that's definitely one of them, because yeah. it's you can't help yourself. Um, it was it was the, the voice. Uh, it was Robinson told him to do the, the, the weak R. And it was he told him how to do the voice. He's, it's based on a thick makeup artist at Pinewood Studios that Bruce <laughs> Robinson met. <laughs> so rude. Uh, like, but th- this is the point, though. There's not a voice or a <laughs> sound. You see the character I put him with now, and I. Yeah, it's you. <laughs> There's not a voice or a sound or a word or a visual in this film that isn't from Bruce directly from his head. Mm. Um, which is what makes it unique. Uh, obviously, he went on to play this <clears throat> Danny character in Wayne's World Two. That's right. I knew, yes, yeah, of course. He didn't. So he he was invited to be in Wayne's World too. They didn't tell him who he was playing. They never put a name on the character in the script. He read the words and he was trying to come up with a voice. And it was only when he got there and saw the costume that he realised they wanted him to play Danny in Wayne's World too. And he had to phone up Bruce Robinson and say, "Am I this? Am I allowed to do this? I feel like I've been railroaded." And he said, "Don't be stupid. It's your character. Have fun." Oh wow! And that's how we end up with Danny in Wayne's World too. That's amazing. Um. So the shoot was um, a difficult one. Bruce Robinson had never directed before. Uh, Paul McGann had done a bit of TV. Richard E. Grant had just done one TV part. They were, they were all new to this. Um, Robinson said he drank a lot of vodka the night before, stood up on a chair the first day, told everyone he didn't know what he was doing, um, asked them all to help him. 
Great. Um, <laughs> um, and Dennis O'Brien hated what was happening. He thought it wasn't funny. The, the first week went badly. The dailies were, he didn't like. He thought it was too darkly lit. He thought Grant should be playing it more like Kenneth Williams. He told McGann he was about as funny as an orphanage on fire. Wow. Um, and as Robinson said it, he basically wanted, you know, handmade uh, George Harrison. This was the studio of Monty Python. Mm. And they were saying he wanted Ministry of Funny Walks, the movie. Yeah. And that's not what they were making. Uh, as Richie Grant said, the stupid fucker got it all wrong, didn't he? <laughs> uh, Bruce Robinson refused, resigned, signed back up. Um, but he was sort of strict on the, on the set as well. His big thing was he didn't want the crew laughing because he didn't want his actors playing up to the crew. He didn't want them trying to get laughs. He didn't want there to be any jokes in the film. There's one line I really like, which when we get to it, he nearly pulled it out because if he said, as soon as there's a joke in this movie, we've got a problem. I'm not making a jokey film. Interesting. Um, and um, yeah, he, he, that's why there's, there's the, the, all the words are his. He said to them, I won't have any of this improv uh, bollocks. <laughs> and the camera operator told Richard E. Grant on the set, you'll never see this again. I've never been on a set where not a single word is changing as we're shooting it. Um, as for how it went, Bruce Robinson said it was like playing poker when you don't really know the rules and winning, winning every hand <laughs> in terms of how each scene was turning out. Right. You know, it was what he had in his head. Uh, he says that it's a badly shot film, but the dialogue's great. And Ralph Brown says it's a lesson to all filmmakers everywhere that you don't need a good plot to make a good movie. Mm. So that's a bit behind the scenes. Want to talk about the film? Yeah. Yes. Okay. So we're breaking this down into three sections, starting with the city. And so it's Camden, uh, London in 1969. Marwood is very stoned at the opening of this film. Does this whole opening not make you feel sick? Yes. Every time I watch yes. it, it makes me feel so unwell. It's the way, A, it's obviously the, 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 the destitute state of the flat, but also it's him clutching his chest constantly. I'm like, it makes me feel really unwell. And when he goes, I feel unwell, I'm like, <laughs> yes, I do too. Well, yeah. for a first-time director, it's working because he suffered from very bad anxiety. And so one of the things he does in this scene is when he frames the shot so the kettles in the foreground are going off while Ma was in the background, he wanted it to be like the kettles pulling the air out of the room, which is how he felt when he was anxious. Mm. And, and that's when that happens to Marwood. It works. It's work. It's that, it's it's quite good visually. It's you know? great. Although that that kettle bit, and this is where the the bottom connection comes in. When he uh, goes, he picks up the kettle and goes, "It burnt me. I've been burnt." <laughs> uh, there's a joke in bottom where Richie goes. You see, my problem, Eddie, is I'm just too intelligent and then leans on the kettle and goes, <laughs> ah, I didn't expect the kettle to be hot. <laughs> so we've got the King Curtis version of White Shade of Pale rather than the Procol Harum one. He said it was the archetype of 60s hip to use that song, but he wanted, didn't want to use the cliche and he'd fall in love with this version. Just a bit of behind the scenes, King Curtis died the night uh, he recorded that version of the song. Whoa. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, he, real poignancy. Uh, there was a fight outside the club and, and he got killed. Um, anyway, so you've got that beautiful tracking shot and then um, goes to a cafe, but let's get into meeting with Nail, uh, who is very upset because they have run out of wine. <laughs> um, he's going to do the washing up. He hasn't slept in 60 hours. There's a rat. Mm. That fucker will rue the day. I'm going to try not to do quotes, but it's going to be impossible with this <laughs> I mean, one, isn't you, it, really? Can't not. Can't not. Can't not, can't not. Alex, Alex, go for your life. Have we got soup? Why didn't I get soup? <laughs> Fuck it! <laughs> what have you found? Matter. Matter. It feels unusual. I think we should go outside. So, 
Uh, we leave the flat. They go to the zoo. Now, they would really break into that zoo at night, him and his friends, mm. um, just because they were bored and they were pissed. And he said we would moan about our lives to the wolves. Right. So Timberwolves, you used to be able to see them from the street as they do in this, but I don't think you can anymore. Okay. But they're stressed because it's eight in the morning and it's four hours until opening time. Um, they don't know what to do. Have you ever done that? When I used to do the breakfast show on XFM with uh, our good friends on the mm. Pod, Pete and Mark, it's a very, very strange experience. You think it's kind of fun and then when you get there, it's not that mm. fun. The Garrick on Charing Cross Road, yep. we were standing outside waiting for them to unlock the doors at 11 o'clock in the morning because we were like, come on. Because you finished work. We'd finished work. <laughs> yeah. We had finished work. We'd finished for the weekend, but we were waiting for them to unlock the doors of the Garrick. And it, when people sort of going about their day watching mm. you standing, looking with big puppy eyes outside a pub <laughs> waiting for the clunk of the lock to come undone and you're like mm. What's the, what, I, I don't I don't see the negative you've just you've just achieved broadcasting history <laughs> <laughs> she should celebrate <laughs> every show was broadcasting history that's right uh, this is what I remember from the first couple of watches of this film is the deep heat oh, covering so yourself upsetting. in deep heat yeah. mm. Have you ever have you ever ever made a deep heat? Not sports, but it's a sports thing. Yeah, isn't it? it is. It is, and I didn't really know a huge amount about deep heat. You know, someone I had a bad muscle, and someone just said, "Put that on." So I put it on. Yeah. And then a bit later, I went for a wee, and I didn't realise you've got to clean it off. It hadn't got hot yet. I didn't realise you have to wash your hands straight away. So oh, I, I see. So I touched. Yeah. Winky with. Lovely. Yeah. Sexy? Good not good. Oh, okay. Not sexy. Very hot. No, not okay. sexy. Burning, Alex. Right. It's burning. Whatever you're into. Whatever you're into, Chris. I demand to have some booze. Um, um, he drinks some lighter fluid. Yeah, so this is how you change with this film, because when I was 20, I was like, oh, that's hilarious. And I watch it now, and it just makes me feel sad. Uh, so the documentary I was referring yeah. to that's a bit depressing from 1999, when I was probably the same age as these people, they visit a bunch of students who play the Withnell and I drinking game. Right. Um, so they ma- it's a six-minute featurette where they match the bunch of Brits at some university town and they match them drink for drink. Of course. How is this? Obviously, this is a drinking game. Um, and one lad um, does drink some lighter fluid. No, no, no. And you no, just no. think, what? what? No. But the story is, the real story is Vivian McCarroll, uh, with Nels based on, as you said, they, they, this is a true thing. Yes. Like Bruce Robinson watched him he drink went, this lighter fluid and he went blind well, for four days. Uh, he said a few hours on okay. in, in the interview I saw, yeah. Right. But, um, yeah. Uh, not good. Don't do it. The lad in the documentary is fine, thankfully. Yep. We, uh, Rich Lee Grant doesn't realise that there's vinegar in there. So that he's reacting to vinegar. He's thinking it's water. Yeah, he so. swapped it out in one take, didn't he? Yep. Yeah. Uh, and then he wants antifreeze. And uh, I says, you should never mix your drinks. <laughs> so that's very funny. Uh, that is the line that Bruce Robinson wanted to take out because it says it feels like a, a punchline. Yeah, and I'm not, I'm not dealing in that. But, I mean, I laughed a lot when I watched it this time. Yeah. So... Um, so uh, the country, it's interesting to go to the pub. The country's Marwood's idea. Yeah. Wasn't expecting that. I thought it was all, you know, uh, with Nell manipulating him. But Marwood's the one that brings it up. Um, they have that moment where he's terrified in the loo. Uh, this gay panic that sort of pervades this, this entire movie. Yeah. I, so now that you've said it's gay panic, I totally get it. But I just thought for y- until you said it. Like it was just different types of man types, not gelling, and whether that was a so a sign of the times. Obviously, all the stuff with Monty later, like we'll get onto that. But mm. they have this encounter with like a man, you know, like a bloke, and they're not they're not up to that kind of thing, and nor should they be. And then it happens again when they go to the countryside. And it's like they can't escape these. Like, are they supposed to represent like? the new age that's coming mm. and these men, these like, they are funny, but it's like, you know, they're physical labour, big guys, mm. hard drinkers, whatever. 
And they, you know, it's the two things clashing and like facing off. Yeah. And Marwood and Withnail are terrified of it, kind of thing. Yeah. But no. they will win because they are the future. I, maybe I'm reading too much into it. I, didn't, no, I, I just think didn't you're see right. the gay panic. I, I understand that it's all there, but I was like, oh, is it symbolically two generations? But, blah, blah, blah. What does he call him? He calls him Ponce. Or Ponce. A, he calls him Ponce and then he calls him perfumed Ponce. Yeah. It's because he's wears, he's perfumed his shoes. Yes. Right. But, um, I mean, I totally agree with you. The times, they are changing, literally. Yeah. This is what this film's about. But also, I mean, especially with Monty, is is Bruce Robinson's interrogating this these incidents he had, being a young, pretty boy in the film industry, especially, famously, with Franco Zeffirelli. Yeah. Right. He was in Romeo and Juliet. Um, Zeffirelli tried to have sex with him the first night there. He was a teenager, alone, right. on set. He was terrified. That's who Uncle Monty basically represents in yeah. some scenes. The actual line, are you a sponge or a stone? That yeah. was said, the line that Franco Zeffirelli said to uh, a young Bruce Robinson as a, as a way of going, do you want to explore life or are you going to close yourself oh, off? Oh, no. Oh, that's so gross. He, he played Benvolio and he said, I started calling myself Ben Dovrio after I had um, met Mr. Zeffirelli. <laughs> Which is why there's a headline on that newspaper of the young boy yeah, yeah. lands part in um, for It's Italian just so director. dark, isn't it? It's like you're, you're trying to rape someone, but you're trying to sell it into them as experience in the world. What mm. the fuck is wrong with well, people? Well, he says that this stuff was not funny when it happened to me. No, it's but not I've funny. found humour in it. Since. Yeah. Um, it's a strange thing because also, is is there an element of uh, is there an anti-gay thing going on here? And and on the commentary, the, there's a guy interviewing um, Robinson. And he does bring it up at one point, and Robinson has a weird answer. He says, "I have no animosity to homosexuals at all, as long as they don't try to screw me." Oh, Jesus. which is a which is a you know it's a, a stupid answer. It's yeah. a stupid thing to say, but I guess it's rooted in he's just been telling these stories about. Uh, you know, and he said it, there were several predators trying to basically rape him when he was a young man. Yeah. So um, it, there's some of it that comes from a place of fear. But also, you know, when we get on to Monty, I think he's quite a complicated character. Me isn't too. He? Yeah, I do. Um, but it's funny when these guys do go for them. Uh, when when Withnail starts claiming he has got a heart condition, <laughs> my wife is having a baby. And my favourite moment, one of my favourite moments in the film, is when he says to the guy, I don't know what my fr- acquaintance said. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he changes it from friend. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's so good because he's such a bad friend. Yes. It's, but that's what's so perfect about him. But also... And it's the same in sideways as well. Like we've all got a bad, we've all had a bad friend that there is just something about them that you let them be bad. But you, the, the thing with with Nail, hey, how you doing? <laughs> <laughs> all right, fine. But <laughs> you, you can just say. <laughs> <laughs> Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live, from ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. 
and we're back with Danny. Um, who's shown up because he's lost one of his clogs. <laughs> I only noticed that this time. Um, so, based on a real person, yeah. um, all this stuff actually happened. He says, Danny, here, that he's thinking of retiring, going to business. The real life Danny uh, worked in the city and ended up moving to Surrey. <laughs> he made a fortune. Um, he talks about his friend presuming Ed. <laughs> Love that. <laughs> Love the fact he's called Presuming Ed. It's just Presuming Ed. Um, so, yeah, he threatens the, the famous stuff about uh, threatening to spike them. I um, love that line. The That's medicine. the line I remember from, I don't know why. What one? The, the spiking line. Okay, I just yeah. it really stuck with me. But yeah, if I'm medicine, you, you'll think a brain tumour is a birthday present. It's just so, be- <laughs> it's so beautifully crafted, the line. Because but... he's really scary in that moment. And yes. yet, like, he's not scary... In the end, like he's, you know, he, mm. you go actually. Yeah. It's sort of, a, it's sort of an mm. empty threat because I think when I watched it as a kid, I was like, "That's a real threat." That's like, you know, they're on the, we're on the cusp of violence here. We're on the cusp yeah. of this, th- like, but going over into something more nasty. But then you watch it this time, and it's not really. He's just playing with him. Yeah. It's interesting. Ralph Brown thought he'd ruin the film when he went to the first screening. He just thought the film was fine until he showed up, and he just all he was aware of was how slowly he was speaking, and he thought he was ruining the whole thing. And he said, "Richard Griffiths." Uh, grabbed his knee and said, "You're marvelous, darling. <laughs> marvelous." And that's when that's when he knew. That's when he knew it was going to be all right. Um, yeah. Daddy's going. I'm be- not sure about the last line though. That you know, we're talking about Bruce Robinson didn't want any jokes in it, mm-hmm. mm. and like when he's he's barefoot for the whole thing, and then when they ask him to leave, he goes, "Do either of you have any shoes?" Mm. I think that's that's a, that feels like a bottom to me. It feels like yeah. the the scene needs a little bit of a gag to end on. Mm. So I'd put that in the same category as the anti sure. And I'd say it's a good line. It's a good line. Um, so uh, we're into Uncle Monty territory now. So uh, the first people they thought about was John Mills and Peter O'Toole mm. for this role. Uh, but um, Bruce Roman said, I saw Richard Griffiths and knew. Uh, they go to Uncle Monty's apartment and this is amazing. Richard, uh, uh, Bruce Robinson and his wife were having dinner with some art dealer and they met a bloke. Uh, got on with him really well. He invited them back to his house. He walked in and he said to his wife, this is Uncle Monty's home. I found it. And that's where they shot. All they did was put some houseplants in that room. Someone actually <laughs> lives there. Um, so uh, some incredible dialogue here about vegetables. Um, he calls geraniums little traitors. He says the carrot has mystery. He, ta- he calls flowers tarts, uh, <laughs> prostitutes for the bees. He likes a firm young carrot. <laughs> <laughs> I happen to believe the cauliflower more beautiful than the rose. <laughs> <laughs> um, as I say, this is when Withnell's knocking back the booze when Monty's out of the room, just like Vivian did when he was vis- visiting Bruce's parents. I don't think I'd bring Vivian to my parents. We've no. all done that, though. It's, everyone's done that at some point. At mm. your house. What? 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 At your house? No, no, just in general. When you're not in the kitchen. You've stolen booze. Of course. Yeah, what yeah. are you even talking about? Yeah, okay. I'm yeah. Just what do you mean? Sure. St- not what? at... Not when you're a guest. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> when? When? When they're not in the room. Yeah. Not to take home. No. No. Just to, you know, pour, if like, someone pulls you... Because it moves too slowly otherwise. Exactly. What someone, are you talking about? If That's someone so pulls rude. you a small really? measure Is, and I then they leave the room and you're like, this is going to take ages yeah, to get I drunk. Want, yeah, I'd rather go home. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> we're helping them. <laughs> That's if what you, I said. If you want me to stay in your house, yeah. I'm going Which to sleep. Which I think you do booze. until I've had all of that and then you will want me to leave. A weird thing about this performance is uh, 
Griffiths apparently uh, wanted to play Uncle Monty more camp, <laughs> but, but Bruce Robinson uh, pulled him back. Um, so there is no more. I, yes, I, it just boggles my mind that yeah. that was a consideration. I tell you what, I noticed mm. this. But time. I think there was hand, there were hand gestures and things that he wanted to bring into it that that, that would have been. Maybe not worked, but it was. I think it's just enough. <laughs> you, yeah. you read any any article about this movie, and all every everyone says never remake this, never do a sequel. No. This can never be touched. This is this is a time capsule of a movie. Leave it alone. And yet, I would watch a spin-off about Monty's relationship with that cat. <laughs> <laughs> there was a lot more. Brilliant. He said, oh, I, "I wish I didn't. I didn't bloody use the quotes." I he, know. He, I didn't either. I he, like... he said that um, the the stuff with the cat is all that happened that day was him trying to hold that. He talked about trying. He wanted to pull the cat's innards out. He was so angry <laughs> because he was expected to walk in with the cat in one arm, the drinks in another, and open the door. And he's like, "How am I supposed to do that?" And this cat just would not cooperate. So he said, sh- sh- filming that day. All that happened was the cat, and you watch the film. The cat's not really in it. <laughs> um, this is when he says he's ruined it. <laughs> it's the most shattering experience of a young man's life. When one morning he awakes and quite reasonably says to himself, "I shall never play the day." <laughs> that has always stuck with me. I think about that line all the time. Right. I don't know. It's just it encapsulate a moment in your life where your time has passed. Wow, okay. I, I'm so, never going to be a professional footballer now. The other side I'm, of that coin, the reason I don't mind that there's no women in it and um, is because because he says, because Monty's like, there's a time in a young man's life, you think, okay, this is just like, you look at the world very much as you would be disappointed if you didn't get to play Hamlet and we we don't kind of thing. So you see the world, men first, and that's, what, that's why it's okay because it's like, that's just your little club, that's the way that you look at the world. So to have women in this film would feel like an encroachment because... That's not Monty's world at all, and then by extension, it's not with Nail and Sure, I guess. But the pinnacle of an actor is playing Hamlet, and you don't. Yeah, yeah I, I, certainly at this time, you wouldn't really think about women playing Hamlet, would you? It's, uh, it's, it's always Tilda Swinton, I guess, and yeah. then that's it. It's specific to it's specific to that, though. I yeah, think. But you're right. I mean, he would not spend. It just much seals time off the women. world in a way that I if I find completely acceptable, and I'm happy to bump along on that journey and try and get into their headspace because it's like women are not in this space for this reason, and that mm. reason is fine. And it, and it is actually the theme of the movie, yeah. in that Monty, at the time has passed. With Nail, he's on the precipice, and Marwood, he's got time. Yeah, mm. and it's about With Nail going from. Still having time to no longer having time in the space of this week, basically. Yeah. Uh, but he says that he does say, I intend to here. And of course, that we're going to come back to that. Yeah, this is something that only works on a rewatch where obviously Withnell takes Uncle Monty off and you don't know what he's doing at the time. But now when you rewatch it, he's obviously going to uh, advertise Marwood oh. as uh, an bottom. offering to, uh, <laughs> yeah. to get the house in the countryside. <laughs> offering the burglary. Mm. Yes. That's right, isn't it? I, yeah, yeah I no, you're right. It, but yeah, I hadn't yeah. Thought, yeah, thought about it. Very mm. good. I'd like to see that conversation. <laughs> um, uh, so they head to the countryside. Scrubbers! There are women in it. <laughs> <laughs> Three of them, in fact. Three! <laughs> and they are, they are little tarts, actually. They, they do actually love it. Um, it's amazing how much you love Withnell when the fact he's shouting... At, at schoolgirls. Sc- scrubbers. No, scrub- because, you know, he's you know he's a public school educator. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, they give him shit Maybe it's, that's what I mean. It's slim pickings, but... It's fun because I can't believe you shouted that at schoolgirls, but if they were like, oh my goodness, and cried, which yeah, is probably yeah. more realistic, but those kids are hard as shit. They like, would have they kicked the shit out of him with their hockey sticks yeah. if they were anywhere near yeah. him. Um, interestingly, uh, this puts us in a time and a place. They shot this on the M25 a couple of days before it opened. There's no fucker there. Mm. Oh shit, the pub, the mother black cap in the movie. Yeah. It didn't really exist in Camden Town. 
It was a pub called the Tavistock Arms in Westbourne uh, Park. And it got torn down and replaced with luxury flats in 2011. That's the thing, isn't it? Because there's so many, there's a couple of scenes because you've got Jimi Hendrix bookending the exit from London and the re-entry to London. And mm. obviously that's like the 60s. And Bruce Robinson is sad about the development of London. And it is hard to watch it now. She's like, I'm not sad about that. Because like, that's the only London I know. And I don't miss what I never knew. And I never knew London as the place where you could like very easily squat and get by on no money and all the rest of it. It's always been shiny high rises and, you know, living cheek by jowl with rich people and poor people and all the rest of it. And that that's the London that makes sense to me. So I don't have that wave of, oh, it used to be so awesome kind of thing. Well, it's fascinating, though, because, I mean, I think the Camden that they're in at the start is not a nice place. It's not even the Camden that, you know, like... It's it, this predates, so it was set in 1969, and Camden then was a, a very rough area of yeah. London. And this is even before Camden Market opens. That was mid 70s when Camden Market opened, and it sort of became a, a slightly more interesting bohemian kind of place. But at the time, it was pretty rough. Yeah. So they've left Camden now, though. Mm, We're sorry, in the country, yeah. and it's rain, it's gale. They're lost, and they're in Penrith. So this is a plot point. This is plot point one. Then this it does. Act seem... one turn. They go on holiday. Yeah, okay. so, I mean, there, I there was thinking structure. about this last night. There is there is structure, but what you've and there is a law point, and there is an act three, mm. and the sideways act three is probably more fully rounded and all the rest of it. What you don't have, you've got act one turn, but what you don't have is the this sort of engine through act two. We have to achieve this thing. Right. Act two, they're on holiday. Act two, sideways is slightly different because there's the engine of like the infidelity stuff. But you're just on holiday with these people. So what's that? So is act three when Monty turns up then? No, I think it's when they've gone back, so it's only a small Act 3. Because then there is a sort of engine towards the second half of Act 2, which is... Marwood, Get rid of Monty. Well, yeah. Marwood trying to escape yeah. Monty's advances. Yeah. If Monty being there is what provides a story, but if he wasn't there, you wouldn't have a story. But he wasn't supposed to be there. Do you know what I mean? It's not like they've... And again, just to go back to the point I was making about the conversation that Withnail has with Monty out of the room. Yeah, if you saw that... Yes. I, I, to me, I think there's, there's a sort of a weird suggestion that Marwood knows something's gone on because he's like, well, were you, what, what was that conversation about? So mm-hmm. I think there is an illusion to Withnail has made some sort of deal and yeah. then when Monty turns up, Marwood is aware of at least sort of... I don't know. Um, I think he's used to Withnail just being a shit behind yeah. his back and getting him in trouble but it's it, but it's just not a plot in the way I would think of one because they're not they're not they're going on holiday by mistake you know there's there's not there's there's nothing really driving it they're, they're not trying to do anything or get any yeah. Get anywhere. It's just it just happens. Did you see what the um you know the man farmer that they end up talking to? You know, my son's up in top field. Do you know what his name is? Which I only found out this week. He's called. <laughs> this is someone taking the piss out of the north. He's called Isaac Parkin. <laughs> He's named after a fucking cake. It's unbelievable. <laughs> fucking northern monkeys. Isaac Parkin. <laughs> Why she so angry? No, I'm not angry. I'm just saying it's just rude. It is. <laughs> I don't even understand it, but. I'm from the south. <laughs> Is there a cake called an Isaac Parkin? That, are you joking? I don't know. No, we you, don't know. You don't know what parking is? No. It's what you do with a car. Yep. You don't have parking in Yorkshire. What are you talking <laughs> about? Oh, my God. God. This is madness. It's a cake that's yeah. it's a Lancashire cake and a Yorkshire cake, and we fight about it. Who's got the best parking? We do, obviously. Yeah. You're not really. There's a lot more to do in Yorkshire. <laughs> <laughs> it's up and coming. Are you still arguing about the parking cakes? <laughs> oh my god! Don't call them parking cakes. <laughs> what are they called? Just parking. Do you want some parking? <laughs> hey, here we go. Do you want some parking? I've want, made a parking. Or do you want this parking? If I'm standing next to a car, uh, it's confusing. <laughs> There's no G on the end. Oh, do you know what? Don't worry about it. All right. You're a traitor to your class one. So it's. <laughs> oh wow. <laughs> So it's that farmer with his leg in the polythene that they say we've gone on holiday by mistake. 
They, they ask him if he's the farmer. Because <laughs> uh, he's the farmer. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's, why, that's why I said that. Yeah. Um, the scene in the phone box, um, he put that in because Bruce Robinson said, my memory of that time is just always being in a phone box, being lied to by my agent. <laughs> <laughs> um, the bull. Now, this is interesting. Dennis O'Brien, uh, he wanted the bull stuff cut. And, you know, Robinson's very angry about that and he kept it in. I, don't, I wouldn't have minded if the bull stuff's gone. This is the stuff that, me, to me, that feels really broad and like it's out of a carry-on film. Yeah. And not really the film I'm watching. I mean, it's fine. It's, it's quite funny. But um, I, I might be on the money man side with this scene. Really? Because they had real trouble shooting with the bull as well. Like I think it, would... it works because it's just another way of showing that Withnail has not got his friends back because he mm. literally leaps over the wall and is like, you fucking do it, which is hilarious. It's very funny when he's standing there talking about his head to the crow. So brilliant. Ah. <laughs> uh, the landlord at the crow is the general. I feel like this is, I know he started writing in 1970, but this is very Faulty Towers yeah. major, yeah. isn't it? 100%. Isn't it? Which, which obviously came out in between him writing it and, and the show. I just have out. a real weakness in real life looking at you for people that tell lies really easily so when with now this like before <laughs> I became a journalist I was in the territorial army I fucking love that right even not to say I'm a journalist or I'm in the TA but before I became a journalist I was in the territorial army and just said it so naturally I love people like that oh, agreed um, and by the way Vicky's referring to Alex who does lie very easily yeah, and it's easy. quite annoying when um, he catches you out so uh, Michael Elphick enters as Jake the Poacher uh, he was in the same year as all of them at drama school um, he's probably the biggest star in this movie at that time because he was in Boone yeah. which was such a huge TV show um, he's hammered in this scene <laughs> now famously sadly Alfic died of alcoholism basically mm. um, uh, they couldn't afford his rate so they paid him with scotch Oh no, and, and, a f- and, and, a, and a few quid. But I mean, that's not that surprising for Bruce Robinson because well, he would have no. been drinking the scotch with him. Yeah. Um, but it just shows you this this world is real. Like it, it does sort of spill over into real life. Um, he caught, he tells Withnell he's prancing like a twit. You weren't working on boy. <laughs> What yeah. does that mean? That's rapey to me. It is, I think, it isn't is. it? Yeah, yeah. Like a corrective, but which is what, you know, people that aren't in touch with their feelings being kind about it say things like that. Uh, with Nell walking along a hill in the dark saying, I'm going to be a star. This is exactly what Vivian would do, apparently. Mm. Um, so do you not think that With Nell is a good actor? Yeah. Because you don't think he is. Or you do no, think I, do, I, I do think he is. Yeah, me too. Weird, weird story. So when I watched this, before I watched it, my mum said, yeah, it's really good, but it's sad at the end. I'm like, oh, really? She's like, yeah, because... The wrong person gets the part. So mm. my mum's takeaway was that Withnail was the person who deserved the part, and like, and Marwood wasn't, and yeah. yet it goes in favour. But it, also, towards Marwood. but they haven't both been up for the same part, have they? No, 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 no. Well, no. and also Withnail's pride, he wouldn't have gone for the part because when Marwood goes up for it, it's a small part, and mm. so he's like, "Why would you do that?" And then when he's on the phone before, he's like, "I got offered the understudy of so and so." Constantine, yeah. Yeah, and I'm not going to do that. So Withnail's pride, I don't think he would have even gone on that. You know, gone to that audition in particular. I never used to think he was a good actor. I just thought he was a, you know, who I didn't see past who he is until this viewing when they're at Monty's house. And when they're at Monty's house and he's lying really easily and he's like, I'm doing a bit of rep and I'm doing this and whatever. He looks not like a horrible mess. He looks like an actor on the verge of superstardom. And the monologue he does at the end, I think, is meant to sort yeah, of go, this guy is he's actually great. really yeah. good. Yeah. And if he could get past maybe himself, yeah. he would have been the biggest star. Yeah. Well, I'm coming to that. I'm not sure he was supposed to be perceived as a good actor. Right. I think he was supposed to be more like Vivian, but things did change. Okay. But um, they're shooting at some fish here. I, I will say I hate, I love the score when it's sad and when it becomes quirky, almost clown music, mm. I hate it. 
Yeah. Uh, that's one of my real negatives about this film. I also think it gets a bit slow here. Um, there's a scene where they get in bed with each other, which is an homage to sort of Morecambe Wise or Laurel and Hardy. Um, and I, do you, what do you think about the connection between these two? I mean, my partner was convinced that they're in love with each other. Uh, Bruce Robson doesn't seem to see that at all. No, I don't think they're in love with each other. I think it's a symbiotic relationship in so much as they need each other and they need what the other provides and they need that the 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 connection of the acting and the the competitiveness and like I, mean, I think they really need each other but I don't think I don't think there's any real sort of anything more than sort of a, I, a friendly love. I think Marwood doesn't love him. I think Withnell might have feelings. I feel I might, might I know what you're saying, but I think those scenes at the end you could also see them as someone who's who's genuinely in love with this person who's leaving him. I think it's a man who is knows that he's losing mm. something he needs yes. and a friend he needs, but his connection more. to the world. Mm. Um, uh, Bruce Robinson, anyway, in answer to that said, I think if there were homosexuality between these two, they'd be buggering each other by now. Um, Lovely turn of phrase, Bruce. Thanks for that. Um, so Monty shows up. <laughs> oh my boys, Monty, you <laughs> terrible <My> cunt, boys. <laughs> I find myself saying, oh, my boys. To my who? boys To, to the His dog. testicles. Jesus. <laughs> I say it to the dog all the time. I go, my boy. Oh, my boy. Oh, yog. Um, they make some food. I, I, I can never touch meat until it's cooked. As a youth, I used to weep in butcher shops. <laughs> oh, my God. Where do you get a line like that from? I don't know. I don't know how you write that. Um, he gives them some money for some wellies and they go for cake to soak up the booze. So yeah. you're, you're, you're talking about it getting a bit baggy in this midsection. And this is this is where I start to feel every single time I've watched it around the cake shop bit, uh, around them going. I think it's the fact that they go to the pub, a local pub for a second time to get drunk drunk yeah, I and I feel like I've seen this I've yep. seen that joke and this every single time without fail I've watched it I'm like at this point I get a little bored I agree I agree but I think I think the cake shop scene is good but I think the pub scene isn't and there's some stuff that could be cut out here but um, that cake shop scene um, they rehearsed that with the old ladies in the scene um, without them saying the nasty stuff so that they would be genuinely shocked when the real dialogue came in, which is um, amazing. Um, it's just some funny stuff. We're leaving in a minute. He's glad he's the propriety. They're making a film. <laughs> yeah. <For> millionaires. <laughs> <laughs> That's quite a good impression. Um, uh, they want the finest wines known to humanity another yeah. line that's memorable and what's lovely here is you can see them laughing for real uh, Grant loses his shit <laughs> when he's saying a line McGann can't help but laugh um, Robinson watching it back on the commentary hates it but it's one of the best moments in the film, I yeah, think. This 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 real naturalism going on. It's good. We'll buy this place and have it knocked down. <laughs> um, but the luncheon again. I, I'm not a big fan of the luncheon after. Um, but that. Oh wait, when they turn up though, and they, <laughs> there's a note from uh, Jake the Poacher. Here, 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 here. Taking the piss out of the north again. Because you're not from the north, really. I got quite upset about it. I was in the north longer than you. Were you? Yeah. Because you're older than me? Yeah, that's how it <laughs> Because works. you were born before me. <laughs> right, OK. When did you come down to London? How old 99. were you? 19. How old were you? 18. I just turned 18. I was 19 years. 19 in years. 19 Man years. Man and boy. <laughs> there is putting down as... Have parking. Let's have, have parking. <laughs>
Um, we're not doing the Yorkshireman sketch, all right? <laughs> Sorry. Much as you might be trying here. <laughs> she started it. Um, so uh, the, the Night from Hell here, which is, which is based on, on, on um, Robinson's first night in Italy. Um, Monty comes after him. The sponge or a stone line happens here. I'll say goodnight then. You already have. Twice. <laughs> oh, no. So this actually watching this makes me anxious. Every time there, I watch well, it, the there, whole there thing are, makes me anxious. There are times when he seems like a predator and then other moments where I think, well, this is just a bloke who's been given bad information. <laughs> you know, he thinks he's he yeah. thinks this man is is a gay man who, he who thinks might he's want gay. to no, yeah. Oh yeah, and he's been told he's up for it. That's yes, the problem. He yeah. has. So yeah. so you know, you've got to have some sympathy for, for Monty. Oh, I, I think. find it very I cathartic. know you're not asleep. Boy, <laughs> I find it cathartic because because it's been made clear that this is a no girls allowed zone, so I don't need to worry about that. And watching the attempted sexual assault of a I, man, you find cathartic. No, because okay, no, no, wait, no, 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 wait. Let me, let me finish. Because I get to jump into the headspace of both characters because I'm not just angry because it's like ah, oh, this man. But you're always the... angry. No, okay. am I? Am okay. I? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So I get to imagine, that's why I don't, I'm, you know what I'm like normally, it's like if there's a man trying to sexually assault a woman and if I'm like, fuck him, <laughs> like hang him, whatever. But in this, I'm like, well, Monty has had a difficult ride and, no pun, and, um, <laughs> you know, he has been given bad information and he comes from a time when he was not allowed to express himself and he's got this sort of jealousy and he's trying to pass this knowledge on and, and all these millions of things going on. He's still uh, trying to, he's almost a rapist. Yeah, so when it, when he, is a, he is a rapist when it says when he says burglary. Yeah, that's the that's line. Right. That's so that's the when line. it that's when it I tips mean over. to have you even if it must be burglary. Yes, yes. rapist. That's it. And yet, I don't often take the time to try and imagine why a rapist is a rapist because I don't care. But now I get the space to try and understand why he's like this. If you want to deal with something, you've got to try and understand it. And I don't normally bother because fuck them, whatever. So this, because it's a, a man and a man. I get to go, oh, okay, I wonder why you're like that. And that's useful. That's important for me to be able to do that. Good. Stop I'm, glad so angry all the time. I'm glad you're, you're growing. You're finally you. learning. But um, men, again. I, I like it. You're welcome. Uh, the, um, the, the makeup is a big shout. Oh, it's I love so that. Good. I've yeah. never noticed that before either. Yeah. He, he, uh, he says, uh, Richard Griffith said, I thought I looked like Herman Goering at an orgy. <laughs> oh, yuck. <laughs> Basically, uh, the interviews with him in, in that book... Um, he is Uncle Monty, the way he talks. Like, I feel like he's just talk, saying his own lines. Um, so, um, Marwood calms Monty. It's quite sad, really. It, it, this is all about Uncle Monty's moment has gone. Uh, of him, you know, having a chance with men, of playing Hamlet. Like, it's, it's, it's sort of Monty's has gone and, and, and he's aware that Withnells is going. And he says, I hope you find the happiness that eluded me. Mm. I think it's quite sweet when he thinks that they're a couple. Yeah, me too. Um, so when he leaves the note and he's gone in the morning, you know, after um, Marwood goes and uh, has it out with, with Nail and mm-hmm. goes, I know what you, what you told him and everything. Yeah, and Withnail calls it a tactical necessity and a calculated <laughs> risk. <laughs> I mean, they're good lines, aren't they? It's good, it's, it's good justification. So the note in the morning, has Monty heard that conversation, that second conversation that Marwood has with Withnail? I never thought so. Okay, so no, the, note, the, the note is just based on what Happened Marwood has... Happened the night before. Okay, okay, yep. okay. So they leave. Hmm? Yeah. Um, oh, sorry. But, uh, <laughs> I need at least an hour for lunch. <laughs> Cut to him eating the lunching. Oh, sorry, Mar- Marwood has also um, uh, received the telegram where yeah. he's got the job, by the way. And Withnell <laughs> says, well done. And that's interesting because I think McGann says that's the best acting Grant does in the film. With his eyes, you see the, yeah, yeah. the, the, the jealousy and the regret and the 
but also the fact that he's a friend of his. And interestingly, I think someone says in the book that this was quite real for, for Richard E. Grant as well because he hadn't had any success. This film, they were being told, is terrible. And it was a, while they were shooting it is when McGann's TV show had started airing and McGann suddenly became a star. So he was literally watching his co-star become famous wow. in front of his eyes. And so it feels like there's some reality there. Anyway, back to the city. They're bombing it down the motorway. <laughs> I love this. I'm, full of... I'm making time. I'm yeah. saying, I fucking love that. You're full of scotch, you silly tool. <laughs> so all of this stuff, uh, Handmade shut them down. All of this stuff is paid for by Bruce Robinson on the motorway oh, because really? he thought it was so important for the film, which is amazing because this is very funny. Um, I, I've only had a few ales. Uh, this is this is Grant's great drunken performance in the film. I mean, it's all good, but um, obviously he refuses to fill the piss bag. Um, what does the policeman say, Alex? Get in the back of the van! <laughs> now it's his second appearance oh on the show. Uh, oh, really? Yeah, he plays Howard the janitor in uh, the much-loved Justice League episodes we did. He was in uh, oh, Zack wow. Snyder's Justice League and Justice League as Howard it? the janitor that at Star Labs. I did not think you were going to say that of <laughs> wow. any film that he could have been in. No, Long Good Friday, he's the, something. He's but... the janitor at Star Labs in sure? the Justice League, 100%. <laughs> but I, I've written down here, this is an actor taking his shots. 100%. Um, but again, um, that cadence, that was in Bruce Robinson's head. It's he so had to weird. train him. Like, he just knew how that should be said. So there's so much about that kind of police officer as yeah. well. It's note perfect. It is. Uh, then in the police station, we get the reveal of him having the piss. <laughs> His face when he is... <laughs> I can't describe it, but the way he looks at the policeman while... while he looks the... like a pathetic little boy. Yes, he looks like. yes, yes. Uh, they get back to town. George Harrison's while my guitar gently weeps is playing. Yeah, good one, George. Uh, Might as well for what you're paying. <laughs> find, find a man in the bar. Find Danny in bed. Uh, we get a racist you know word. I think would work in this yeah. scene. <laughs> <laughs> if they were listening to some music, um, no, I particularly think... this. <laughs> well, we've already, we've already. I'm paying them. I do like that album, and there is quite a few by John. No, no, no. Do you want this check, Bruce? <laughs> now I've turned into Sean Bean. Do you want this check, Bruce? Liverpool. <laughs> Do you want it? No, it's, it's good because I do find your Sean Bean impression very funny. Yeah, but it's, it's but, but, it, but it's not Sean Bean. <laughs> oh, no, it's not George Harrison. Yeah, I'm, not, I'm saying that Try I've to remember where you're Sean from <laughs> and then do a Yorkshire I'm, accent. I'm from the north. <laughs> uh, right. Um, we get a racist Mildly word here. Yeah, but inquisitive it. at the um, same time. <laughs> it, it gets discussed on the commentary. I mean, he says what I guess... You would say it's common vernacular back then. It just takes the shine off Marwood. Marwood is a good person, yeah. essentially. It's like not he's necessary. been led astray. And... But the truth is, this is how they I mean, this is how him and his friends spoke and yeah. spoke and so it's grim and it, you know, I guess it's a worse thing now than it was then. Yeah, it, it's, it's, it's but it's great. It's just oh. I honestly I would I would edit it out. Yes. Like oh. do it again kind oh. of thing. Because it it ruins under it's sign of the times, blah 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 blah. Marwood is supposed to be good, no question. There is yeah. no shades of grey with him. He's a good person in a bit of a weird time of his life, you, modern audience, hear that and you're like, you, you're a baddie. And, and that, you, it's hard to... It, it's only because it happens where you've only so got about yeah, 10 minutes you can't take it. You saying, can't take it out. You're I know. saying you would re-edit with Nell and I to I would, take out I that would word. Take it, yeah, only because you it undoes it his character arc and it didn't undo his character arc at you the time. What? 
Yeah, but but anyone with an iota of intelligence would be able to watch yeah, it and go. You're... I'm sure at the time that it, that, yeah. that that was oh, commonplace. Are you saying I'm I haven't a... got an iota of intelligence? No, just... but I'm just saying <laughs> just... it seems you've never. We've we've all. Yeah, I realise what I just said. I apologise, uh, but I, I do still think that you've never. We've talked about so many films. Why this particular because movie you... in this particular moment? Because it's such a joyous experience, and mm. you can't help how you react in your body to it's something, upsetting. and it's you're just like blah. Yeah, I, I I agree. I, I just know you do. I just Can't think take you, it you sort of watch it and go, well, this was then. I know. Mm. Campbell carrot. Yeah, really. It's so big. You ever well, seen one made is, in real life? Yeah, this is the thing. So that when we watched this, when I watched this film, we lived with someone who would make something very similar. Yep. And he's not a million miles from Danny. Um, so it just hit home so very, very much. Like If you mm. wanted one of them, you could go next door and have one. I've, yeah. I've, I've, I've always had a very strange respect for the uh, pot smokers of this world who will spend uh, upwards of half an hour building something like that to then smoke. Like the care and yeah. attention it's and love that yeah. goes into it's it. It's loving your work, it's, isn't it? It's, it's amazing. It's, it's an art form. Yeah. yeah. It makes me feel sick now. But... <laughs> Because it's invented in Campbell and it looks like a carrot. <laughs> uh, uh, Marwood goes out to get his agent. We, we could have got a, one of those romantic comedy run love runs. There. Oh, running after him, yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, they fade out and fade back in, smoking the joint. Um, they want I to play the lead in this play. Yeah. Uh, Withnell's eyes are great here. Again, he's sort of happy for him, but... You know, it's tinged with sadness. It's an amazing scene when with Nails in hysterics, though. When after he smokes the Camberwell carrot and like and um, Marwood's having another one of his moments, you do feel it. Like this film, when it wants mm. to, when it creates anxiety on the screen, it tr- makes you feel anxious yeah. watching it. Yeah. Everyone's losing their shit apart from Danny, who knows law. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, didn't see that coming, but that's yeah. a great little twist with the character, isn't it? It's yeah. a great little turn, but. But, you know, it's powerful here. You know, uh, Marwood is growing up. He's moving on as Robinson did. And Viv never made that progress in real life, um, wanted to stay in that place and ultimately died. Um, But it's also, you know, it's not only about Marwood's time doing this ending. It's about the decade ending as well. We're we're moving into the 70s. They're selling hippie wigs in Woolworths. So I have a question about that. I read that that line is something that Bruce Robinson doesn't like. It's one of the few lines he doesn't really love. He doesn't love this. He feels it's it's trying to be overly uh, profound at this point in the film. And I couldn't find much on that. Someone said that this is something that that guy, Danny, would have said, that drug dealer Mm. had said to him. It's the kind of thing he would have said. So I'm surprised if he didn't like it. But again, it's it's a bit on the nose, isn't it, as a line? Yeah. We failed um, to paint it black. Uh, but the morning after, Marwood's cut his hair and he mm. looks sharp, doesn't he? But he looks yeah. conventional yes. suddenly. And he's he's moving out. His journey is coming to an end with Journey's End. Um, the play. Uh, and he doesn't have time for a drink with Withnail. So Withnail walks him uh, to the station. And this is what I'm saying. You know, we're, we're talking about the fact Withnail really does care for him. Or does he care that he's losing him, as you say, because he knows what's around the corner if he hasn't got this this person with Who's him. Who's he going to rant at? Yeah. Mm. Um, but, he, you know, my, my, my question about does he love him, like he does that thing of, of pushing the girl you fancy in the playground, I feel like. He's so horrible to Marwood that I feel like it might be covering up a, a deeper affection for him. And, 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 and Marwood says to him, I shall miss you. And he can't even say it back. He just says chin chin. This is so heartbroken. Um, and then we get the performance from Richard E. Grant playing the Dane to a bored wolf <laughs> um 
Amazing so, how they got the wolf to just stand there. <laughs> I'm always impressed when an animal does exactly what you need it to do in the scene. <laughs> uh, well, the the chicken, he couldn't believe the chicken didn't move. Mm. Um, they killed that chicken straight after. But um, that chicken delivers, in Robinson's opinion, the best performance in the movie. Um, <laughs> but uh, so the original ending of the film, do you know the original ending? No. Uh, yes. He okay. uh, fills, do you want to do it? Or yeah, go for it, He fills... With nail, uh, fills uh, two barrels of a shotgun with well, wine. One of Uncle Monty's shotguns. One of Uncle Monty's shotguns. He fills the barrels with wine, and while he's drinking the wine from the barrels, he pulls the trigger. Oh, okay. So yeah. that was the ending in the film for most of the time that this had been written. And then uh, Robinson decided that wasn't the right ending, and so came up with this. So I think, genuinely, when they were making the film, when he was writing the film, I, I think um, With Nail is a bad actor, just like. Um, the real life person was Vivian was but then when the ending changed he changed who Withnell is yeah. and we do get this great performance mm. and so it's really interesting I think this film was made with Withnell being a bad actor and then this this ending that was almost tacked on when they changed the ending it, changed, it, ch- it changes everything yep and it's, I mean, for God's sake, well, it's so much better. I always, I, like, I always prefer the darker ending, but not here. Yeah. yeah. Can you imagine? I can't, I can't even begin to imagine that other ending. It would, it's, it's a, it's a movie ruining ending. Yeah. But also, we know what's around the corner. This might be tomorrow, mm. but we don't need to see it today. Yeah. So, uh, this was not a success in the UK, really. Um, it wasn't a huge flop, but it didn't make money, but it didn't cost much money. But Hollywood embraced it before we did. Um, a cult built up around it in LA really fast. And um, it's full of that cult was full of filmmakers who hired the actors for their movies. So, Alien 3 was supposed to star Richard E. Grant and uh, Ralph Brown's in it because uh, David Fincher loves Withnell and I. But um, <laughs> Richard E. Grant turned it down, so Charles Dance plays the Doctor. But oh, that is that going to that... be Richard yeah, E. Grant? Yeah, that was Grant. I did not know yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. Wow. Fincher wanted a Withnell reunion. Wow. <laughs> but no one involved in it really made any money off it. The, 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 the business dealings at Handmade is such a mess. It all got sold to different people, and Bruce Robinson never really made a penny off it. The actors never really made a penny off it. Um, but George Harrison did say that it might be the film he's most proud of that Handmade ever made, and that's including Long Good Friday and the Monty Python movie. So it holds a special pace wow. in everyone's hearts. Should we do the bits? Sure. Yeah. Okay. Quite emotional getting through that one. Um, mm. Vicky, what's your favourite scene? Well, I've thought about this long and hard, and I think it is actually the uh, sexual assault. <laughs> mm. Because it's the thing that I remember the most from all the different viewings and it did, like I said before, it just gave me the chance to try and see something that I don't normally love from somebody else's um, point of view. And also, the, which is an interesting thing for me, there's a part of you going, just say no, just tell him to fuck off. And that is victim blaming. And we all do that all the time because we don't want these terrible things to happen to it's, us. It's so funny you say that because on the commentary, Robinson says, I'm so angry watching it because... Why aren't you saying no? Now I would laugh it off. No, I would make no. it, I would push off. But he said, I, uh, you know, obviously, he said, I was a teenager when this happened to me with yes. Zeffirelli and I did you not know what no. to do. So no, obviously, yeah, no, I know I'm agreeing with you, but it's just, it's interesting. That's exactly how he yeah. feels watching it. And that's why it's good because because it's men, you're like, why don't you just say no? And it's like, okay. But he's obviously much bigger than Marwood. And so the dance that Marwood does, you don't want to offend your host because, and also if you name something, you make it real. So if you say no, would you not rape me? You sort of the elephant in the room kind of thing. Whereas when you don't name it and you're like, well, we can't do this because of this, because of this, it just, it's very British, just keeps everything sort of plausible deniability. Like we didn't have a terrible weekend because there was no rape here kind of thing because you haven't 
called it out. And that is so recognisable to sort of elide things and try and have to dance around them in order to get out of a tricky situation. Um, so, yeah, that's, that's why I like it. Wow. Mm. It's great, though. A, a, a scene that taught you empathy. <laughs> <laughs> Alex. <laughs> You. I just, sure? I'm just messing with you. I'm just messing with you. Just a bit of, bit of fun. It's a bit of hot. Okay. It's hot. We can, we can sort it out outside in a minute. Everyone's hot. Um, Alex. Uh, I, 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 Empathy for a rapist <laughs> as well, Dickhead. Have a think about Ooh. it. Right. Uh, so, uh, I'll move us on. Uh, I can't uh, pick a best scene. I've, I've written down it's any of the first, almost the entire of the first act. You can pick <laughs> yeah. any one minute from that first act set in London and it, it's perfect for me. There's every every scene has a golden line. Every scene has something that I love. Um, I love meeting with Nell for the first time. So yeah, you just the first act of this movie, any part of it is the best. Makes scene. So, so what's your favourite s- scene? Yes, yeah, so that would be any any <laughs> any. You, you you can pick it for me if, as long as it's in the first act. That's it. Mm. I'll have a think. Um, mine is I don't know. I was going to say there's so many. It's really hard here. Mm. But the bit that made me laugh the most this time was what you described, Vicky, uh, when he does that face looking like a little boy as the fake <laughs> urine's going all over the place. Just that sequence of, of the police to the police station um, was what made me laugh the most. Uh, Alex, most valuable whatever. Most valuable whatever. I agree with Bruce Robinson. Uh, the, the chicken. <laughs> the, the chicken. Uh, it gives the best performance in this movie. Uh, no, so uh, first of all, a couple of special mentions. Uh, firstly, uh, to Bruce Robinson for that uh, script. Uh, because it is just as we've proved and has been proved time and time again uh, so fucking quotable it's brilliant and I didn't know that he intentionally didn't want it to be funny funny have jokes and it's so that's mm. interesting because it is yet still one of the funniest scripts I've ever ever uh, watched uh, also um, I think the casting director Mary Selway mm, uh, legend bloody brilliant every single role in this movie is cast to perfection mm. even down to get in the back of the <laughs> so it's it's wonderful, and I often I've said it before on the podcast. Like I so I, I did a bit of looking about Mary Selway, and uh, I've often said one of the best ensemble casts ensemble casts in movie history are the Marines in Aliens. Mary Selway casted it. Mm. So uh, those are my two honourable mentions. But of course, um, with with now uh, Richard E. Grant is my MVW. Uh, we've touched on it. Horrible and vulnerable hilarious and tragic, often all those things at exactly the same time. Uh, And also, considering the man doesn't drink, one of cinema's greatest ever drunks. So I'm giving it to Richard E. Grant. Mm. I mean, it's... uh, I hate the Oscars, but it's Mm Oscar-worthy. Yep. Uh, Vicky. Yes, Richard E. Grant times one million. Mm. It's astonishing. Like everything you said, the drunk acting, the fact that he's just this horrible... Ghoul, this dandy, this like archangel, scary as shit, nightmarish thing, mm. and he's also a baby. <laughs> so, mm. so it's just incredible. And it, I know that it's, it's I don't know to be like, oh, you're very good drunk, but it is hard to play drunk, especially oh. if you've never been drunk. <laughs> yeah. So I don't know. It's just amazing. Yeah, I, I mean, much as I'd love to give it to Richard e. Grant, you you can't. It has to be <clears> Bruce <throat> Robinson. Uh, as Ralph Brown says, um, Bruce conducted this film. He was the mad drunken conductor. And he's the one that saw the potential in Richard E. Grant. He's the one that told him how to say the lines. And and it's his story. And as I said, it's this unique film where there's not a, a, a moment that wasn't 
from his head. So um, it's crazy to give it to anyone other than Richard E. Grant. Oh, so we're crazy now. But I have had um, a bottle of Merlot, so <laughs> rock and roll. Uh, if you could change anything, Vicky, what would you change? So this is actually how I thought it ended, where I've done that thing where I've projected my own. Great. Ending. I love this. Um, when the, right at the end, when Marwood's got the eviction notice and Withnell's not taking it seriously, I misremembered and I thought that was because and think should be because in some way Withnell's dad owns the property that they're living in. So it's not that obvious, but he says something to the effect of because he's wasted. <clears throat> it's nothing to worry about. Daddy will fix it kind of thing. So he's been playing at poverty the whole time. And he is still kind of playing at poverty because he is rich and he does have a family. You can tap up for money, but they're not on speaking terms. But it's worse than that. It's worse than Marwood ever thought is that it's a game to him. Like it's it's genteel poverty at its kind of worst. That not only has he got not only has his friend got an escape route, but his dad owns the whole building that they've been getting stressed about the whole time. Cause Withnell's poverty is not as keenly experienced as Marwood's because Withnell doesn't really give a shit about not signing on, whereas Marwood does give a shit, even though it's to sort of get out of see Monty. Mm-hmm. But just this idea that his friend has withheld this information from him that would make his life so much easier and so much better, and he's done it out of this weird thing to try and be like him. Do you know what I mean? Like Withnell wants to be more like Marwood or doesn't want to be upper class, but all along it's daddy's flat. That's not that dissimilar to something I wanted. Right. Uh, Withnell's parents showing up at the end. Yeah. I thought it would be funny. <laughs> yeah, taking him away. Um, yeah, so that was my change. But also, I, I said it before, I, there's not much I want to change this film. I think it's nearly perfect, weird. apart from these slow, these slow moments. Uh, but I hate this score. So that's... Yeah, it's weird, isn't it? I, I, I think... It's one of those films where its flaws somehow make it more perfect. It's it, it wouldn't be quite the same movie if it didn't have a couple of moments in it. Like the bagginess in the middle almost feels like it's it's right, sort of like the, the dreariness of the countryside. Mm. I mean, yeah, I said earlier, I don't have anything more than, you know, I maybe... I thought you had some real it. issues. You said you, you, you started this podcast almost angry about something that was wrong with this film. And I've been waiting and you've not... Oh, yeah, sorry. No, that was me. Just I, I felt that I'd oversold uh, how much I bloody love this film. Okay. And so I was uh, <laughs> trying to undercut myself Lovely. slightly. Uh, so my, my only issues are uh, the fact that it's a, a little bit soggy in the middle and um, it could do with a trim. Okay. Are we allowing that? <clears throat> Mixing your metaphors second... slightly, but... Mm. You can trim something soggy. Second time he's... Second time... <laughs> Was that those um, pink trunks again? <laughs> it's the second time he said it's a bit long in the last month. Are we allowing that as a change? It's a difficult one because mm, sometimes there cheeky. is nothing else to say because sure. that is the thing that's wrong with it. But I, I don't. don't know. I honestly don't really have any big problem with this no. movie. <laughs> no, agreed. Anything else would be a and lie. that's why I do sometimes say if there's anything you would change, what would it be? If you've got no change, fine. That's never happened though, has okay. it? We always pull something oh, out. Oh, I feel like this. I feel like no this. change. <laughs> <laughs> I have no change. Did I say it right? Uh, we're done. Okay, great. Shall we do a quiz? <laughs> yes. Why, sure. come uh, on. It's, it's a about... quiz for Vicky. You always say that. <laughs> it's about cocktails. Oh, okay, fine. It's for you. It's won by me. <laughs> but if it's about bloody cocktails, I think she might have the upper hand this week. Um, so... Uh, these are a, a, names of cocktails. Yes. And you've got to tell me if they're real or if I've made them up. Oh, great. Okay. Okay. So just both shout out, you know, at the same time, whatever. No change. Um, <laughs> first cocktail, the Pink Beaver. Tra- made true. Up. It's made up. I'm uh, saying it's real. It is made up. Um, it's not a cocktail. And if you have one, you should see a doctor. Um <laughs> 
She's got thick pants on. <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> it's gonna go a bit red. <laughs> I, I sort of won, but yeah. sort of at the same time yeah. regret. That's, that's how it should be. Yeah. So I, I regret what I said, but I did win. So I'm not sure how I feel is, is what you're thinking right now. Cool. Uh, cocktail two. Bend over Shirley. Uh, real. real. You're both correct. Do you know what it is? No, I don't. Actually. Yeah, it's, uh, it's a long no. <laughs> Too hot to be yeah, funny. Really. <laughs> Uh, it's a Shirley Temple, but with vodka. Okay. <laughs> uh, alien nipple. False. Incorrect. Not real. No, it's real. It's Bailey's and Sambuca with a little bit of grenadine in the top. It's real. Sorry, I've given I you think a... it's Bailey's and Midori. It's a yucky, like, horrible student drink. So, yeah, real. Yeah, well done, Alex. You helped your... Yep, I realised that. There. Yeah, I'm an idiot. Uh, uh, <laughs> I've got butter, butterscotch snaps, Irish liqueur and melon liqueur. There's loads of them. What, what I What we used to do is uh, it was called... Uh, uh, I think it was called, I don't know, something horrible like a test tube baby. Whoa! No, or a, <laughs> oh or a fetus. Basically, what you did was you put the Sambuca in the shot glass and then, and then you put the you could pour it so the Baileys formed a layer on top and then you drip the grenadine down the middle. So, like, through oh, the I very see. middle, it would hang... The grenadine and the bays would hang in the middle of the Sambuca. Angel's tip. False. Not true. It's true. Oh, oh. man, I need a win. <laughs> Creme de cacao, uh, machina liqueur, heavy cream. Um, so that's nothing for either of you. Um, anus burner. <laughs> I'm going to say. What are these drinks, Chris? These are not in my cocktail books. I'm going to say real. I'm going to say not real. It's real. Oh. Yeah. Um, it is a shot of tequila, a slice of jalapeno, and a dash of hot sauce. Yum. Uh, quickly escalating regret. <laughs> um, real. I, I'm going to have to go the opposite because I, I need wins here. Not real. Um, it's how I'm feeling about this quiz, but it's not the name of a cocktail. Yeah! <laughs> and finally, golden showers. Why don't you go first? No, because I, I think you're in you're the lead. Yeah, you're playing the I, odds. We don't know, so... Golden Showers it's... is real, fuck it. Okay, Golden Showers <laughs> is not real. Uh, vodka, orange juice, triple oh, second, ginger yes! ale! Yes! And Vicky, well played. About Vicky time. knows About her time. cocktails. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the reason they're not in your book, because if I'd done ones that were famous... It would have been no good. I had to find <laughs> the tricky ones. Uh, the, the decider was going to be how many shots of whiskey yeah. does Withnell drink during the film? Actual as a shot? Or yeah, well, it, you know, if it's a double, then it counts oh, as two. Oh, it's every time they go to the pub. Is it four? Seven. Uh, he drinks 13 shots of whiskey. <laughs> um, we're all told Withnell uh, drinks nine and a half glasses of wine, red wine, one pint of cider, one shot of lighter fluid, two and a half shots of gin, six glasses of sherry, 13 scotch whiskeys, and a half pint of ale throughout the film. Yum. <laughs> not really. So maybe it was 13, not 12. Anyway. Right. Are we done? Yes. Yeah. Okay, then. So, uh, coming up on Thursday, of course, we're going to be talking about Sideways. Uh, but let's look ahead to next week's pairing. It's Chris's turn to pick some movies. Chris, have you got a clue? I have. Great. Because <laughs> it's going to be tricky for the characters in next week's films uh, because their problems keep mounting and mounting and mounting. <laughs> now, wait, leave, leave it. Their, their problems keep mounting and mounting. <laughs> And mountain. That is so cute. Just breathe it in. Just <laughs> let that hang there. Is it good? Yes. Yeah. Do you like it? It's absolutely do. wonderful. Okay, thank you.
That was a beautiful moment. Beautiful moment. That is it for this episode. Uh, in the meantime, if you haven't subscribed to us or you know someone who might like the podcast, tell them to subscribe to us or subscribe yourself on Apple, Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. And also do check in with us on Twitter at ClashPod and Instagram and TikTok, all at ClashPod. We will be back on Thursday talking sideways. Until then, have a good week. Clash of the Titles is a stack production and part of the Acast Creator Network. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns.